continuing in the book of 1 Thessalonians, but we're in chapter 2. Last time I, I spoke on this portion of the scripture was in May 20th, and today is June the 17th, so let us continue. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse, chapter 2, excuse me, and we'll begin in verse number 1. You yourselves know, brothers, that our first visit to you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we had already suffered and been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage united with our God to tell you the good news, even under great pressure. For the appeal we make does not flow from error or from impure motives. Neither do we trick people. Instead, since God has tested us and found us fit to be entrusted with the good news, this is how we speak. Not to win favor with people, but with God who tests our hearts. For as you know, neither did we employ flattering talk, nor did we put a false front to mask greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek human praise, either from you or from others. As emissaries of Messiah Yeshua, we could have made our weight felt, but instead, we were gentle when we were with you, like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We were so devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship, how we worked both night and day, not to put a burden on any of you while we were proclaiming the God's good news to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, on how holy, righteous, and blameless our behavior was in the sight of you believers. For you know that we were treated we treated each of you, each one of you, the way the Father treats his children. We encouraged you and comforted you and appealed to you to lead lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Another reason we regularly thank God is that when you heard the word of God from us, you received it, not merely as a human word, but truly, as it truly is God's word, which is at work in you believers. So, let's look again at verse, chapter 2, verse 4, as we go forward. God has entrusted in all his people with the good news. How do we know this? We know this from what is written in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. 
Let's go ahead and take a look at that right now. God's word confirms his word in the midst of his word. You want to understand God's word, then you study it in its context of his word. It's amazing when you think of all the authors that the Lord has raised up to write his word in the past. There's a steady flow. There's a steady theme through it all and how it beautifully fits together. And that's why they say that in literature, the Bible is the greatest book ever written. It is the most translated work, and it's the most provable work through times past. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verse 1. It is, a cons- it is a consequence of this that I shall rule and a prisoner of Messiah Yeshua, on behalf of whom you Gentiles. I assume that you have heard of the work God in his grace has given to me for your benefit. And it, is wo- it was by a revelation that is this secret plan was made known to me. I have already written about it briefly. And if you read what I have written, you will grasp how I understand the secret plan concerning Messiah. Let's pause for a second. See, it was part of God's secret plan that God would graft in those who receive and acknowledge Yeshua as the Messiah. Grafted into what? Grafted into his family. And who was God's family represented in the earth? His bridge, but the Jewish people. For Messiah was prophesied to come from the Jewish people. Continuing here in verse number five. In past generations, it was not made known to mankind as the spirit is now revealing it to his emissaries and prophets, that in union with Messiah and through the good news, the Gentiles will be joint heirs. Just think about that. Joint heirs in Messiah. A joint body and joint sharers with the Jews in what God has promised. I became a servant of this good news by God's gracious gift, which he gave me through the operation of his power. To me, the least important of all God's holy people was given this privilege of announcing to the Gentiles the good news of Messiah's unfathomable riches and letting everyone see how this secret plan is going to work out. This plan had been kept hidden for ages by God, the creator of everything. So think about that. This was hidden, but God has revealed through his Ruach, through his spirit. And so going forward, the good news has been carefully safeguarded through all generations, even up even to today. And it is the responsibility of the current Messianic believers to persevere 
and to preserve it for generations that follow. Continuing now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, Shaul and his fellow emissaries could have asserted their authority as apostles, as Shalakim, requesting payment for their preaching. But they did not. And why is this? Because they were inspired and encouraged by what is recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. Did not Yeshua give his Talmudim when he paired them up and he sent them out? He said, freely have you received, freely have you, you shall give. Continuing here, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. And when I was with you and had needs, I did not burden anyone. My needs were met by brothers who came from Macedonia. And nothing have I been a burden to you, nor will I be. See, Rav Shaul, he believed to do the the work of a tent maker, a, a combination of both serving God in his kingdom and also raising up his own support by working with his own hands. There were times when those from other congregations that he already established, they were rejoicing the Lord and they gave into his ministry and helped him along the way. But there was often times when he had to roll up his sleeves and work both day and night or night and day to help provide for not only himself, but all those who were traveling with him. Doesn't that really throw a monkey wrench in how ministry is done today by a lot of people who are so-called ministers of the good news? When you learn about their lavish lifestyle, you learn about their private jets, their multiple mansions, and all these other things, their requirement of great wealth upon this earth. But if you ever look at the life of Yeshua, it says that he did not even have a place to lay his head. Because he knew that his kingdom is the Father's kingdom. And his provision is the Father's provision. That's why as a young believer in Messiah, there was always red flags going up in my mind when I'd hear these men and women of God always asking for money. I remember years ago sitting in a service where they took up seven offerings in one service. Ridiculous. You see, somebody from the world could walk into that setting and say, you know what? There's something wrong here. And then leave. It's amazing. Sometimes people in the world have greater discernment than those who are following and serving the living God. And why is that? Because we have heroes in our lives. We put up men and women and we put our trust in them. Yeshua said, if he be lifted up, 
then he will draw all people unto himself. So if the man or woman that you're currently listening to is not lifting up Yeshua and lifting up themselves, you know what kingdom they're building. The kingdom of their own. And it's sad when one of these people pass away because then other, others who have been following them, they just, they're searching for another person to fill that gap. And they never truly have an intimate, personal relationship with Yeshua. That is the greatest relationship that you and I have today going forward. Praise be unto God. Let us continue. So, Shaul made his living through tent making. Some Bible scholars have actually said he actually made talits, which is very, very much possible. This supported the claim that their motives were pure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 14, it gives us more evidence. See, because we're not only supposed to judge that person that's the words that they're speaking, but how are they living? When they're not standing before others, how are they living? Are they living a life that is pleasing to God? Do they have an alternative lifestyle? Isn't it amazing how many men and women of God, their alternative lifestyle, the Lord is pulling back the curtains and revealing for who they really are. So 1 Corinthians here, we're going to be in chapter 9, we're beginning in verse number 3. That is my defense when people put me under examination. Don't we have the right to be given food and drink? Don't we have the right to take along with us a believing wife, as do the other emissaries? Also the Lord's brother, brothers and Kepha. Or are Barnaba and I the only ones required to go on working for our living? Did you hear ever hear of a soldier paying his own expenses or a farmer planting a vineyard without eating its grapes? Who shepherds a flock without drinking some of the milk? And what am I saying is not based merely on human authority because the Torah says the same thing. For in the Torah, Moshe, it is written, you are not to put a muzzle on the ox when it is treading out the grain. If God is concerned about cattle, all the more does he say this for our sakes. Yes, it was written of us, meaning that he who plows and he who threshes should work expecting to get a share of the crop. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, it is, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others are sharing in this right to be supported by you, don't we have greater claim to it? But we don't make use of this right. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so that not to impede in any way the good news about the Messiah. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple 
and those who serve at the altar get share of the sacrifices offered there? And so Rav Shul was giving a comparison here of what is taking place. Now let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be looking at uh, verses 14 and 15 right next door. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 14 and 15. Look, I am ready this third time to come and visit you. And I will not be a burden to you. For it is not what you own that I want, but you. Children are not supposed to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. As for me, I will most gladly spend everything that I have and be spent myself too for your sakes. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And then finishing here in 1 Kepha, which is 1 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 2. See, it's just not Rav Shaul that is walking down this path and living this way. Because Rav Shaul, before he accepted God's call upon his life, the spirit of the living God showed him how much he was to suffer for the kingdom. You know, that's something that isn't uh, taught or preached about much in today's society. Are you willing are you available to suffer for the kingdom? To be established in the hearts and minds of others? Yeshua was willing, and we are to follow his example. So here we are in 1 Kepha, 1 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 2. And be like newborn babies, thirsty for pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into what? Deliverance. Deliverance from what? Our old carnal nature and the way of doing things and, think, and seeking out advice from others, but not inquiring the will of God through his word. That's how we gain deliverance. So just as a mother cherishes her little ones, our spiritual shepherds should tenderly care for the believers that they serve. Did you hear the, those words? That they serve. Believers are not to serve the rabbi or the pastor over the flock. He is to there to equip, to strengthen, to encourage, and to bless, to give guidance and counsel. To pour out his life that they may have a better life in Messiah, just as a parent sacrifices for the children from one generation to the next. We pass on that baton of care, love, grace, and mercy, and encouragement and strength. So the next generation that is coming can walk in more freedom in God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
So just as a mother feeds her children, they should give the rabbis to their spiritual offspring the nourishment they need to grow in Yeshua. See, it's all about Yeshua. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, continuing in verses, chapter 2 of Thessalonians, verses 11 and 12. So now expanding from verse number 7, where Shaul affirms motherly tenderness, which, which he approaches his ministry. See, that's his motivation. It's love. It's reaching out to those who are less mature in their faith and encouraging them and building them up. Sacrificing all. But his motivation is always moved by tenderness and love. Continuing. Shaul affirms the motherly tenderness with which he approaches his ministry. Here he uses the image now of the father to demonstrate the need for a minister, a rabbi, to encourage, to comfort, and to urge those he serves. Effective rabbis exhibit both tenderness of a nursing mother, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 through 8, and the strength of a concerned father. Praise be unto God. And so now we continue as we look now at the work in chapter 2, verse 13. And this is what it says. Another reason we regularly thank God is that when you heard the word of God from us, you received it not merely as a human word, but truly as it is God's word, which is at work in you believers. And so let us now look and compare it to Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says this. For God is the one working among you. From a Jewish perspective, this passage reveals a paradox of both human free will and God's foreknowledge. God is active and not separate from his creation. Yet, his foreknowledge does not explicitly mean for ordination, in which he grants humankind a free will. It would be a denial of God's own nature not to do the work that pleases him. And how do we know this? We know this as we look closer to Messianic Jews chapter 4, verse 12. We're really close by today. We're not going quite so deep in the Tanakh today as we have in the past. And here's Messianic Jews, or Hebrews chapter 12, chapter 4, excuse me, and verse 12. See, the word of God is alive. It is at work, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts right through to where soul meets spirit, and joints meet marrow. It is quick to judge the inner reflections and the attitudes of the heart. 
there are times when we question our motivation. And how is that completely addressed so that we do not walk in condemnation? It's completely addressed when we open up God's word and allow the spirit to speak to us as we read it upon it, meditate upon it, and allow then the word of God to cut out the cancer in our lives. Our old nature is like a cancer in our bodies. It must be removed. Least it spreads throughout our body and brings an untimely death. So those who just go by on what other people say, don't get me wrong, electronic ministry is wonderful. But if you're not daily opening up God's word, daily and meditating upon it, and allowing that double-edged sword to come and to, who's, who's wielding the sword? You're not. Hasatan's not. But the spirit of the living God is applying. Just as you go under the knife of a surgeon, that person is, is skilled. Well, think about an all-knowing God who is the Ruach, who is therefore skilled, and he's now allowing that sword to remove the cancer. And I tell you this, to be honest, when the Spirit of the living God does surgery on me personally, he allows me to ex feel the pain, the reality of this, so that I will fully realize that this is an act of God and though it pains me for a moment or days or months, once that cancer is removed, then I am completely and totally healed. And that which holds me back is no longer there to bring hindrance in my life. Rabbi, you're being too transparent. You have to be transparent you have to pull no punches this is reality and if you're not allowing God's word to transform your life daily I question your personal love and devotion and your relationship to Yeshua here recently off the internet it's been posted that in up to one year's time that artificial intelligence will actually be able to present a Bible. I encourage everyone to go out and literally purchase at this time whatever translation of the Spirit of the Living God speaks to your heart about doing it. And get more translations, not only just for you, but for others. Because I believe here in the near future, just like some of these publishing companies, a lot of them are not owned by believers. And they're changing words. They're changing the meaning of words. And when you think about the young people today with this chat and all this other stuff that's coming out, that's writing their book reports and all this other stuff, 
how easily deceived are people going to be? There have been many times when I've gone to different teachings and all of a sudden the speaker came forward and then all of a sudden their electronic system completely collapsed. And they stood there befuddled, not knowing what next to do. I and others would go up and hand them our Bibles. And I have to be honest with you, some of them weren't able to continue. Because they were so enslaved with these electronic devices. And they did not meditate on God's word by memory. I truly believe that we're living in the days when these Bibles will be taken from us and others will be given to us that follows along whatever government desires for us to believe. And we will be brainwashed and we'll be deceived. You know what? In Scripture, it says so many, many times, Yeshua says, Do not be deceived. To hide God's word in your heart. So that what? I'll be a good person? No, so that I will not sin against the Lord. See, there's a warfare, spiritual warfare going on. And here recently, also on the internet, as Alan mentioned earlier today, There was actually an artificial intelligence service. Some have told me, I haven't watched any of it yet. But it was by a robot with artificial intelligence. Think about that. Man's intelligence, not God's. And if Hasatan could come and appear before Yeshua and try to tempt him right after Yeshua went underneath the waters and arose. And what happened? The Spirit of the living God led him where to the wilderness to be what? To be tempted by Hasatan. See, there are times when the Spirit of the living God allows temptation in our lives to test us Are we going to obey what God's word says? And I tell you, there'll be times in the future when you do not have your electronic device or your little Bible with you. You know, most congregations today, when people assemble, they don't bring literal Bibles with them very much anymore. And so this is not only a warning for you and all those who listen on these podcasts, but to myself. Hide God's word in your heart. Be fully equipped. Because there are people out there that need to hear God's word being spoken by you and being lived out in your daily lives. Praise be unto God. So continuing here. Hearing the word of God with ears is one thing. 
but welcoming it with a heart so that it is appropriated into one's life is quite another. The Thessalonian Messianic believers not only listened to God's word, but also received it expectantly and let it change them because they believed it was the word of God, not by mere humans. And we'll end on this verse today. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Mark chapter 4 and verse 20. But those sown on rich soil hear the message and accept it and bear fruit. 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Is the good news transforming your life continually, every day? Or was it just a one-time situation? Praise be unto God. Father, may we be obedient to read your word, to study it, to apply it to our daily lives, that we will join in unity with the Ruach and will not inhibit the Ruach, the Spirit of the living God, in any shape or form, because he was given to us as the one who would transform our character in the character and likeness of Messiah Yeshua. And he is, has certain divine callings upon our lives made for us to fulfill a life that is pleasing in the Father's sight. A life that when Yeshua appears and takes us as his bride, that none of us will be ashamed at his appearing. And that once we're in heaven and we're before the Bema seat, there are many rewards. There are crowns that are listed there. And these crowns are not giving for us to be boastful, but these are crowns to cast before our master's feet throughout all eternity to give him glory and honor and praise. In Yeshua's name, amen.